Well, I have the uh, distinct pleasure of introducing the person to my left, your right. Uh, his name is Mark Futado. When I first got to seminary in 2000, he was the, one of the new professors at the seminary I went to in Orlando. He had been uh, teaching at another seminary and had just come on over. This is Mark Futado, the Robert McClellan Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew uh, at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, former academic dean, publisher of many books on the Psalms, my mentor in Old Testament, my teacher in Hebrew, and my good friend over the occasional cigar. Please welcome, give a warm, much warmer welcome than that bad early morning service. Give him a warm welcome. We're looking forward to hearing from you, Mark. If you will turn to the back panel of your bulletin, you will find the scriptures that he will be reflecting upon, Psalm 145, and here now with the reading of it, John. Scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous, and in all his ways and all kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let the flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, thank you for that reading of Psalm 145. Uh, I've, had, um, I've had a beneficial time here over the past couple of days. Beneficial to me because I always benefit from meeting new Christians and from teaching, interacting. We've spent a, a couple of days studying the book of Psalms. And we have studied the whole of Psalm 1. We've studied the whole of Psalm 2. We've studied kind of quickly all of Psalm 29, Psalm 13, and Psalm 30. Uh, and that's typically the case when I preach or teach on a psalm, since it's a poem. 
and it has a unified structure and message. I like to try to cover the whole thing. Uh, A while back, I preached on Psalm 92, and that's kind of a much longer psalm. So the longer the psalm, the less the tale. Uh, This is kind of a longer one, but I'm going to do something different. I don't want my text to be all of Psalm 145. We're going to look at just one verse. And the verse that we are going to look at is verse 9. It says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that He has made. We want to reflect for a few minutes on what I call the cosmic goodness of God. You've probably been in a church service, uh, a conference, Bible study, where somebody has started, the leader has started by saying, God is good, and you have replied... At some point, you've been in a sermon, or you've been in a Bible conference, or a Bible study, and the leader has started by saying, God is good, and you have replied by saying, there you go. That's true. God is good all the time. Psalm 106, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Psalm 86, You, Lord, are forgiving and good. God is good all the time. That's what the Bible says. And sometimes when we look at the circumstances in our lives, big or small, we find it difficult to affirm with any kind of conviction that God is good. I mentioned uh, earlier this weekend that it was a, it's been a very difficult fall for me, most arduous, uh, most difficult semester I've ever had in my teaching career, uh, and kind of at the heart of that difficulty is we have good friends, young friends, uh, friends of some of my kids, uh, so in their early 30s, unchurched. I married this young couple about 10 years ago, and this fall, their three, their two-and-a-half-year-old daughter passed away. Accident. Completely unexpected. And, of course, they turned to me as kind of their surrogate pastor because they don't have one, like they did when they needed to get married. And I walked them through the valley of the shadow of death. One of the hardest things I've ever done as a pastor was lead that funeral service and preach that sermon. Trust me. At that funeral service, I did not start by saying, God is good, and expecting everybody to say all the time. Now, sometimes it's, it's hard. To see how God is good. But even though it's hard to see it sometimes, that doesn't mean it's not true. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And I dare say that all of us this morning have some large or medium or small area of our life 
And when we look at that area, something that we're experiencing in our relationships, in our finances, in our bodies, in our emotions, there's some dimension of our lives where we look and we say, it's hard to say that God is good. If God is good, why am I experiencing this, that, or the other thing? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word. So one of the things I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to take this word about the cosmic goodness of God and he's going to use it to build your faith just a little bit. So that where it's difficult for you to say God is good, it'll be less difficult. Because you've heard the word of God and God has told you this morning about his cosmic goodness. Well, this is a short verse, so I have 15 points. That would be a little bit overkill. How about two? Can we do two? Uh, Presbyterians, I guess you're supposed to like do three. (laughs) You know, and if I were a Baptist, it would be like three points and then end with a poem. But we're just going to do two points. Is that okay? Uh, First thing I want to do is I want to talk about the meaning of good. I love words. And, uh, of course, we use the word good a lot, but good in English actually has a bunch of different meanings. But the, uh, the brain is so fast as a processor that when somebody says good in a sentence, your brain automatically filters out instantaneously all the wrong meanings, and it just plugs in the right meaning. Uh, and Hebrew's like that. The word good in Hebrew has a number of different meanings. One of those is what I would call God's utilitarian goodness. I'm a son of a cabinet maker, so I often use illustrations out of woodworking. Uh, I'm a pretty serious um, hobbyist. Um, I would say, that's a good saw. I don't mean that it's like morally upright. It's never sinned against God. It doesn't deserve to die. No, I mean that saw does what it's supposed to do. In fact, I I, I follow a number of uh, makers on Instagram. And this one fellow uh, is making some um, boxes, keepsake boxes. And one way you do that is you make the box and it's completely closed And then you run it over a saw to cut the lid from the main part of the box. It's just a way of doing it. It's the way I do it when I make boxes. And when I saw the picture, I thought, well, I guess I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. I mean, the edge between the box and the lid that he cut, it was really ragged. Well, in the little post at the bottom, he said, never using this saw blade again. Because it just tore the wood. That's not a good saw blade. The book of Genesis uses the word good this way. First thing that God does in creation, God said, let there be light. And then God saw that the light was, it wasn't morally good. It was a utilitarian goodness. God created the light to do something, and what God created the light to do, the light does. 
That's a utilitarian goodness. But that sense doesn't fit our text. God is not a tool that we can use, uh, and he's a really good tool. Not a utilitarian goodness. I've mentioned moral goodness. God is certainly morally good. God has a standard of morality. And God never fails to live up to his own standard of morality. Psalm 25, notice it says, Good and upright is the Lord. Good, upright, moral goodness. Psalm uh, 119.68, Lord, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. God has these decrees, these laws. He knows them. He lives in keeping with them. The psalmist says, teach them to me so I can know them and I can live in keeping with them. That's God's moral goodness. But God's moral goodness doesn't fit our context either. There's another kind of goodness in the Old Testament, and I call it God's beneficent goodness. Now, beneficent isn't a word that we use all the time, but it's a great word. I love words. Um, I have dictionary.com on my phone, and often I will come across a word, and I'll just get out dictionary.com, and I look it up. I also subscribe, and I trust you do as well. I trust that you subscribe to dictionary.com's word of the day. In your, um, in your email, you get a word of the day. Great app. Uh, sometimes I look at that word and I say, I don't need to read the definition of it. I know that one. Sometimes I see a word and I say, you know, I use that word, but um, I'm not sure I could really define it very well for somebody. So I'll look at the definition. Sometimes I see a word and I say, No, there's no way I'm ever going to have an occasion to use that word. Forget about it. I'm just leaving it behind. I also have etymological dictionary online. Where did this word come from? I love to know where words came from. It's kind of like Ancestry.com, but instead of looking up your past DNA and where all your ancestors are from, it's looking up like the DNA of a word. You all do this, don't you? Am I, am, I, am I alone here in the world of the love of words? Um, beneficent. It comes from Latin. Bene. Uh, if anybody knows any Italian, which I don't. By the way, my name, Futato, is not Italian. Uh, a lot of people, if they haven't seen me, they think I'm Japanese. Uh, because F-U-T-A-T-O, it kind of fits the vocalization patterns of Japanese. In fact, when I lived in California, I spoke once to a, uh, a group of like, I guess you'd call it like a group of Korean uh, crew staff. And a woman came up to me afterward and she said, when you took the platform, I was shocked. I thought our uh, speaker was going to be Japanese. You don't look Japanese. No. Uh, anybody know what futado is? It's a Rarely, I've told you the big two that are wrong. Nobody ever guesses. It's actually Hungarian. It means bellow worker. So I'm a bellow worker. Where was I, Dan? Help me. 
oh, we were, we were talking about etymology and beneficent, bene, Italian, I'm not Italian, and that leads to I'm not Japanese, but I am Hungarian. So now we're back. Uh, Italian is bene, it comes from Latin, just think of Italian like as modernized Latin. Anybody speak Spanish? What do we have? What's the word for good in Spanish? Bueno. You see the BN? The BN in Spanish, bueno, is the same as bene, good. So the bene part is good. And the facent, there's an F and a C in there. That F and C is the same as in factory. What do you do in a factory? You make something. The facere in, in Latin is to make or to do. So uh, we have this in a lot of words, and I, I didn't realize it till I looked it up on etymology.com. You know all these words like clarification, glorification, uh, nullification, the verbs glorify, nullify, all of those come from Latin facere, which means to do or make. So to glorify something is to make it glorious. Uh, to nullify something is to make it null and void. Uh, and so, bene facere, beneficent. It's God doing good things. It's not Him being morally good. It's Him doing good. It's God doing good in a very generous way. Psalm 119, 65 do good to your servant. God's beneficence. His generous doing of good. Psalm 125.4, Lord, do good to those who are good. Now, over the weekend, we learned a little bit about Hebrew poetry. One thing that we learned is that Hebrew poetry is nothing like English poetry. There is no hickory dickory dock, the mouse ran up the clock. There's no meter, there's no rhyming in Hebrew poetry. There are different conventions. And one of the conventions in Hebrew poetry is called parallelism. You'll have two half lines that go together, and they correspond in a variety of ways, and that's what ties them together. But usually there's a little bit of something different added in the second half. So when you're reading Psalms, uh, you want to be looking as a detective for that little addition. So notice what our verse says. It says the Lord is good, but what's the next half line say? He has compassion. He is merciful. That's the kind of goodness we're talking about. Beneficent goodness. God doing good things. God doing merciful things. God doing compassionate things. That's the beneficent goodness of God. This is who God is showing you this morning from His Word that He is. He is good. Now, certainly He is good morally, but that's not what this text is talking about. It's talking about the fact that in His relationship with you, he is good. He is beneficent. He does good things for you. He does merciful things. He does compassionate things. He does kind things, and that in a very generous, generous way. God is the quintessential philanthropist of all time. So 
First of all, all we've done is talk about the word good. It's not a utilitarian goodness. It's not a moral goodness. It's this beneficent goodness of God. Second thing we want to talk about is what's the extent? How, how broad is God's goodness? To where does God's goodness reach? And I think from the title you get the answer. The title of the sermon is God's Cosmic Goodness. Why do I use the word cosmic? Well, notice that our verse says that God is good to all. Now, you might think that that just settles the case, but keep in mind that all doesn't always mean all. Has anybody ever said to you, especially when there's a little bit of tension, you do that all the time? Well, not literally, but that's not really what they mean. But the fact is, in that case, when they say you do that all the time, all doesn't mean like all the time. How could you put that in other words? You do that a lot. Or really to the point, you do that too much for my taste. So all doesn't always mean all, but the fact of the matter is, in our case, all means all. How do we know? Remember what we're learning about how to read Hebrew poetry. A line of poetry, two half lines. Correspondences that hold them together. There's usually some kind of additional uh, information, a little explanation in the second half. And what does our text say? The Lord is good to all. I wonder what you mean by that. Read the next half line and we find out he has compassion on all that he has made. Is there anything in this universe that God has not made? Not a thing. Not a particle of sand. Not a photon of light. Not a galaxy. Not a cluster of galaxies. There's nothing that God has not made. And so this all really does mean all, all. The scope, the extent of God's goodness is to all that he has made. As in Psalm 103, 22, praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Or in our psalm, later on in verses 15 and 16, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Jesus got this. And Jesus taught this. In the Gospel of Matthew, the the, uh, fifth chapter and the 45th verse, we read Jesus saying this, God the Father causes his Son to rise... On the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's God's cosmic goodness. See, it's not limited. It's not God is good to good people. But not to bad people. 
God sends the rain, which everybody needs, to everybody. The sun. Aren't you glad for a sunny day? Yeah, um, uh, in the first service, I don't know her name, but a young woman uh, prayed for the city and the church, and she prayed for people who have uh, seasonal affect disorder. Uh, my father-in-law, who died about 10 years ago, had that. He lived up in, unfortunately, he lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. They, yeah, summer's two days long in the middle of August. And uh, my wife, my wife could call and she could tell by the way he said hello whether the sun was shining or not uh, outside of Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, God does good things. Now, I'm going to make a presumption here. Uh, I I can't really see everybody really well, but I'm going to presume that we're all alive right now. (laughs) Safe presumption. Let's ask the question, why? Can somebody tell me what the wage of sin is in one word that starts with D? Well, you, this is really a quiet congregation. Let's try that again. Can somebody tell me what the wage of sin is in one word that starts with D? That's better. That's better. Uh, It's death. Anybody here never sin? I'll make another presumption, and that is that all have sinned in this room and fallen short of the glory of God. If the wage of sin is death, and we've sinned, and we're alive, the question is why? And the answer is because God is a beneficent God. He is good. He gives us mercy. He gives us compassion. Do any of you have a non-Christian co-worker? Non-Christian neighbor, non-Christian family member, any of them still alive. How do you explain it? The wage of sin is death. You explain it by realizing that God is good. God is good to all that he has made. God's cosmic goodness, God's beneficent goodness. But you know, God's goodness doesn't just extend to people, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God's goodness extends to all that he has made. Lovely psalm, Psalm 36, 6 to 7, Lord, you preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love. I think in every lesson this weekend, we learned at least one Hebrew word. So we're going to learn one this morning. Uh, And for those of you who have somebody below you in the balcony, be careful a little bit here. uh, Because this word starts with a a sound that we don't have in English. It's a ch. Everybody say ch. You make it in the back of your throat, but kind of up top. Ch. And it's esed. Ch, esed. Everybody say chesed. That's God's unfailing love. That's a very special word in the Old Testament. It's a word that is used frequently of that special covenantal love that God has for his people. That's how it's used most of the time. This is a remarkable text because this says that God's chesed, his covenant commitment, 
is not only for his people. It's not only for all people. It even extends to the animal world. Um, uh, as as a, By the way, I almost missed my flight coming up. Uh, oh, by the way, to back up before that. See, I'm an American, and we U.S. people don't get a lot of things that are, you know, outside the United States, like the way the rest of the world typically lives. So, I made my return flight for four o'clock next Sunday, and my wife caught it when I emailed her my itinerary, And uh, she caught it within the 24-hour window so I could change my flight without penalty. So I'm a little bit frantic here, rescheduling, and I'm rescheduling it on the phone. So I get a flight home on this Sunday, what is it, the 17th? And I get a flight home at like 8 o'clock. So then later, like two, three, four days ago, I go to put that on my calendar, and I go to Air Canada... And I see a 24-hour clock. And I say, oh, no. I hope it's not 8 a.m. Because that's what 8 o'clock would be, right? 8 a.m. But I must have been talking to a woman who has compassion on people from the States. Because she kind of understood that I didn't get all of these things. And she made it for uh, 8, 8, 8 p.m. So what would that be? 22 or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, as a woodworker, I, I, there are, I do wish we were on the metric system. It's so much easier to divide stuff up. You know, what is half of three inches and 33 30, 64s? Yeah, that's, I got to get my calculator out for that. That being the case, if, I, if, if I'm driving and it says, like, I'm going uh, 45 kilometers an hour, I have no idea what that means. So I'm going to tell you something else that I have no clue about. The universe that we are living in is 15 billion light years wide. That doesn't com- compute to me. It doesn't, I can't, I don't have any categories. All I know is that's, real, that's, that's pretty big. There's a star, some star that's the furthest away from us, and it's 15 billion light years away, whatever that means. And I ask myself the question, why is that star there? And the answer is, because God is good all the time. His goodness extends to all that he has made. Well, let me wrap this up by giving you a a couple of takeaways. We had two points, so there should be two takeaways, because I like symmetry as a cabinet maker, but I'm going to put three in. First takeaway, expect God to be good to you. You know those areas where, where you're struggling, you kind of can't see the goodness of God? Expect Him to be good to you. He has shown you this morning through His Word that He is good. That he loves to be merciful and compassionate to you. There's a text in the gospel that says Jesus could not do many miracles in a certain place. And the reason why he couldn't do it is because the people didn't have faith. Expect, faith, believe. I know it's hard. 
Because the more days and weeks and months and sometimes years you go, when you keep praying, it's hard to keep going. It's hard to keep believing. That's why I'm here to preach this morning. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word. And I want this small verse in the psalm to strengthen your faith so that where you're struggling to believe that God will ever show up in a good way, that you just, one more day of believing, don't give up. Uh, those of you who were here over the weekend remember my, um, my, um, my, my favorite uh, female Reformed Presbyterian theologian, Whitney Houston. She sings in a song on the uh, CD, The Preacher's Wife, Hold on, help is on the way. He may not be there when you want him to, but he'll be there right on time. Have faith, hold on, expect God to show up as the generous, good God that he is. And if he doesn't, Well, that's another whole series on the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Job. But when God doesn't show up, you have a a decision to make. I I know we we Presbyterian types don't always talk about people making decisions, but, but you have a decision to make. When the Bible says God is good and your circumstances say, no, he's not, you've got to decide, where am I going to put my faith? Am I putting my faith in my circumstances, or am I going to put my faith in the Word of God? Oh, I trust that the Holy Spirit will take this short reflection on just one verse to encourage you to keep your faith in the Word of God. Number one, expect God to be generous and to be good to you and to your family and to your friends and to your co-workers. Number two, be good. Now, I don't mean quit cussing. I don't mean be good in a moral sense. I mean be good in a beneficent sense. Be good to all. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your enemies, love your neighbor, and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. How many of you want to be like God? God has shown you this morning what He is like. He is good to all. And if you want to be like God, don't you also want to be good to all? Maybe this week God will test you. Because you know it's easier to be good to some people than it is to be good to others. And maybe he's going to bring some of those others in your life. So you said this in in church on Sunday, you want to be like me. Let's put it to the test. You will have plenty of opportunities in the coming week to be compassionate, merciful, kind, generous with other people. And in that moment, you have a choice. Am I going to be like God or not? See, be good to all. Here's my third takeaway. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see. 
that the Lord is good. I'm going to give you an immediate application, something that you can do right now. Dan's going to lead us in it. Right over here, we're going to have bread and we're going to have wine, and you're going to have the opportunity to taste the goodness of God. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper gives us a tangible, smellable, tasteable experience of the word. How far was God willing to go to guarantee his cosmic goodness? He was willing to become in the person of his son, a human being who lived a perfect life of righteousness in our place, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, was raised again for our justification. All of God's cosmic goodness flows from the sacrifice of Christ. And so as you taste, as you eat the bread, let it strengthen your faith that God is going to be good to you. As you drink the cup, let it strengthen your resolve to be good to others as God has been good to you. Amen. Thank you, Mark. As Mark has mentioned, there is a particular, irrefutable work of God in history that convinces us beyond any doubt that despite our own circumstances, God is good. And that is that God himself entered into the brokenness of this world, the misery of it, the danger of it, and became fully human. And becoming fully human, he then suffered with us all the indignities and brokenness of humanity, of disease and decay and death. Finally, himself becoming vulnerable, rejected, arrested, tortured, and hung on a tree. But he did it for a particular purpose, that his goodness would be made manifest to all by his sacrifice of himself on the cross to pay for our moral wrong and our moral guilt. When circumstances cloud our view of his goodness, we remember the grace of God in the person of Jesus who came and on the night that he was betrayed and sent to his own death, he broke bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. A little while later, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it was a cup of wine. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, by which he meant that he was going to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out as the substitutionary payment of the debt that we owe God to, for our own selfishness and moral wrong, our lack of beneficent goodness, the act, the work of God that most irrefutably shows his love is his death on the cross. And he asks us to participate and to remember that act, which casts all doubt aside and allows all faith inside by eating and drinking the bread and the cup. This moment, this participation is for all 
who call themselves Christians. If you're here and you're still investigating the faith, there are prayers in the bulletin for you to read and to locate where you are in your spiritual journey. But for those of us who are baptized believers, this moment is a moment for us to remember and to be refreshed in the goodness, the cosmic goodness of God who sent his son to bring us back to him and to one day recreate all of the cosmos in perfect goodness. I'm going to pray, and after I've prayed, we will serve um, gluten-free bread uh, and then wine and grape juice. The wine is darker than the grape juice. I will pray, and then the table will be open. Take it and eat and drink of it when you are yourself personally ready. Father, I thank you and praise you for this table. I thank you for the bread and the cup that symbolize the death of Jesus on our behalf and your dying love for us while we were yet sinners, not merely humans, but rebellious humans. You sent your son to die for us. What love, what goodness. Help us to celebrate that and to have put back into our hearts in a deeper way the depth and the unchangeableness of your goodness and your love for us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. The table's open.